I've really been enjoying our Bible study uh, that we've been doing. Uh, one of the things I love about Bible study is, um, is once the preacher stops yakking, we have really good discussions. And, um, and the questions that people ask get me uh, thinking about the Bible throughout the week, which is what I think Bible study is all about. And um, in last uh, last Bible study, our, our, our Wednesday uh, in the afternoon, um, as as we were wrapping up, someone asked me a uh, a twenty minute question. We had five minutes to go, and, um, and and that happens often in Bible study. And the question was this: Why are Jews still waiting for Jesus? Why are Jews still waiting? For the Messiah. And I gave my best, like, Twitter 140 character answer to that. I, I did my best uh, five minute version of that, but I was thinking about it all week. And um, when, I was, uh, when I was looking at this passage and studying this passage and thinking about this passage, I realized that this question, why are the Jews still waiting for Jesus? is one that a lot of Christians bring with them to passages like this. After all, it seems so simple to us, right? Behold, the virgin shall conceive and give birth to a son, and you shall call him Emmanuel. Well, we all know um, of the Christ child born of the Virgin Mary, uh, God among us, uh, who tabernacled among us, right? Uh, uh, God in the flesh, uh, who more um, uh, fits the bill for this Emmanuel, God with us? It seems, seems so simple to us Christians. And, and a lot of times um, we're, we're just puzzled why the rest of the world just doesn't get it and just doesn't see what we see in these passages. If I'm honest, I was... Um, I was a little hesitant to address this question. And the reason I was a little hesitant uh, to address this question is I am mindful of um, the rise of anti-Semitism in our own country and in our world. And, um, and, and, and Christians have a dark history when it comes to anti-Semitism. And for centuries, for millennia, really, we have defined ourselves as Christians in opposition to our, uh, our Jewish neighbors. In other words, um, uh, uh, whatever they are, we are the opposite. They, they, they tend in, our, in our, our thought to be sort of the foils uh, to what it means to be a Christian. You know, we, we, we say things like, um, like, like, like Christians worship the God of love and, and Jews worship the God of judgment. Christians are graceful. Uh, uh, Jews are legalistic. Christians are generous. Jews are stingy. These are all lies, by the way. Anti-Semitic tropes that the church has trafficked in for far too long. And so I'm always hesitant to talk about the difference between Christians and Jews because I don't want to play into that. Because um, I, I feel as a corrective, we should be talking way more about what we have in common these days. But 
It's a question I get asked a lot. And, and it's a question that deserves to be taken seriously. And let's face it, what we think about who the Messiah is, what we think about Jesus and his mission is probably the defining um, uh, difference between Christians and Jews. So what I've decided to do is this. I want to pretend in this front row here um, are singing all of my Jewish friends. Uh, people who have invited me over to their home for Passover, people I've worshipped with in their synagogue. I think especially of um, the first Jewish person I ever uh, knew, or at least knew that I knew. And, um, and, and she was one of my professors in college. Um, before she went into academia, she studied to become a rabbi. Uh, her name was Dr. Isaacs, and, um, and, and she was always that, that, that teacher that had the open door, uh, that I could come in and, and, and have a cup of tea and just uh, prattle along about my problems and taught me so much, meant so much to me. Um, I, I affectionately referred to Dr. Isaacs as my rabbi all while I was in college. And so as I address this question, I'm imagining that, that they're sitting here listening too. And so I'm going to try and do it with the sensitivity that I would do it knowing that they're in the room with us. A virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and his name will be called Emmanuel. While those, those words seem so obvious to us as Christians, we have to remember that they were first written and spoken some 700 years before Jesus was born. And they were written and spoken uh, to address a crisis that would be long over and long gone by the time Jesus walked the earth. See, Bible scholars say that the great impetus for, um, for the writing prophets that we've been talking about, Isaiah, uh, uh, Micah, Amos, um, uh, uh, Hosea, uh, the great impetus was something called the Assyrian crisis. See, in about 730 BC, there was uh, an Assyrian emperor named um, uh, Tiglath-Pileser. I think that's how it's pronounced. I've only ever read it. Tiglath-Pileser. And, uh, and, and, and Tiglath-Pileser uh, started, getting, um, started taking over the known world. And, uh, and, and the kingdom of Judah was watching their neighbors fall one by one to the Assyrian Empire. And they had a decision to make about what to do. Do we go um, uh, to Assyria and bend our knee and become vassals and, um, and, and just uh, accept it as a foregone conclusion that we're, we're, we're going to be a part of this, this, this empire and do it uh, without any bloodshed? Or do we, uh, we, we stand up and fight for our sovereignty? Do we rebel? Now, that's the southern kingdom of Judah. The northern kingdom, Israel, had already made up its mind. It allied itself with the country called Aram, which is modern-day Syria, and, uh, and they decided that they were going to fight back against the Assyrian Empire. 
but they wanted Judah to join their alliance. And so to provoke Judah into joining their alliance, uh, they attacked Jerusalem. Now, the king of Judah, Ahaz, has a decision to make. And um, Isaiah is cautioning Ahaz that the thing that they need to do is this. Nothing. Wait. This will all pass and God will take care of you. Well, nothing is about the hardest thing for a leaguer to do, isn't it? When you've got everyone looking at you, wanting some kind of decisive action, nothing looks a lot like dithering. Nothing looks a lot like you can't make up your mind. And so this was not the counsel that Ahaz wanted to hear. And yet this was God's word for Ahaz. If you just hold your ground, if you just wait, God will take care of you. You don't have to bend your knee to the Assyrians. So Isaiah doubles down. He tells Ahaz to ask the Lord for a sign. So don't take my word for it. If you want to know that, that this is God's word for you, that you should wait and do nothing... Ask the Lord for a sign, anything in the heavens, anything under the earth. But Ahaz doesn't want a sign because Ahaz already knows what he wants to do and doesn't want God to get involved. But he couches it sort of in, uh, in, in piety. He says, oh, I, I couldn't ask for a sign. I will not put the Lord to the test. After all, that's what the Bible says, isn't it? And Isaiah says, not only are you trying my patience, you're trying the Lord's patience as well. I'll tell you what, I will give you a sign. Here is your sign from the Lord. There is a young woman. She has just conceived. She's going to give birth to a son. In nine months, she'll name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. By the time that child is old enough to know right from wrong and to eat big people food like curds and honey, all this will have passed. The two nations that are attacking you will lie in ruins. Just wait. Well, Ahaz didn't just wait. He went and bowed his knee to the Assyrians. And that set off a chain of events that wound up um, in, in about 100 years, leading them to be exiled into Babylon. Flash forward about 200 years. The Jews have come back from Babylon and uh, they have rebuilt the temple and rebuilt the walls around the city. And, um, and, and, and the Persian Empire has allowed all of this. And um, they only have one rule. The one rule is this. You, you can have your land back. You can have your temple back. You can have your fortified city back. You can't choose for yourself a king. Because I, King Cyrus of Persia, am your king. So the people are back in the land, but they don't have a king. 
And they begin looking at all of these passages and all of these prophecies about kingship and wondering how in the world it applies to them today. What does it mean for us who, who live without a king that a virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and you shall call him Emmanuel? What does it mean that, um, that, that God promises that a descendant of David will be on the throne forever and ever when there's no king of ours on the throne? What do these prophecies about, about an age where, uh, where people will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks have to do with us when we're still uh, in conflict with our neighbors? And so the Jews began to believe that these prophecies were pointing towards a future king who would fulfill them all. They just would not, to their credit, let go of the belief that the God who made these promises would keep these promises. And so they looked ahead to a future king that they called the Messiah, which is just Hebrew for anointed one. In fact, the Greek is Christ, Jesus the anointed one. They began to look ahead to this, 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 this Messiah figure who, who would, would fulfill all of these prophecies that, that had been left dangling. And as they sort of pulled all of these prophecies together, the expectation was this. That the Messiah would be a, a king who sat on the throne in Jerusalem. That um, whether, uh, whether by miracle or by force... Uh, uh, there would be, there would be a, a descendant of David on the throne in Jerusalem. And that would inaugurate a new age of peace and prosperity for the Jewish people. No longer would they, they be scattered about the earth, but all of the Jews would come home to Jerusalem. The lost tribes would, would all come back to the city. And not just the Jews, but all of the nations, all peoples everywhere uh, would, would, would quit their conflict and they would come back and they, they would learn from Israel's God and they would be drawn to Israel's God. And the marker that this had happened would be that they would have a great banquet called the Messianic Banquet, where they would all enjoy this feast together. And then there would be a time of peace and prosperity that would never end. There would be no weeping and wailing on God's holy mountain. The, uh, uh, the, 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 the sheep would lie down with the wolf. They would beat those swords into plowshares and those spears into pruning hooks. Every person would get to sit under the shade of their own vine and, and, and eat their own fruit. Flash forward. About another 300 years. These promises are still dangling in the wind and a man named Jesus is born. To his followers, he fits the bill. Born of a virgin. Sure seems like Emmanuel, God with us. Everywhere he goes, he's proclaiming that the kingdom is here. This, this, this messianic age that you've been longing for is being fulfilled even now in your midst. 
but he dies. And this, the folks in my Jewish row would say, is where you lose us. Now, as Christians, we have this understanding that, that Jesus was resurrected on the third day. That the kingdom that he inaugurated was a spiritual kingdom and that we, um, that, 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 that we are, are saved through his action on the cross and through the power of his resurrection. And we also look forward to a time when all of those promises are going to be fulfilled in the second coming of Christ. our Jewish friends would tell you and very politely turn on the news turn on the TV you say Jesus is the Messiah well it's been 2,000 years is there a descendant of David on the throne aren't Jews still scattered about the world Are we at peace with our neighbors? See, as Christians, we are, uh, as we said, anchored in this hope. We have this, this, this belief that, that even now we, we are able to participate in this kingdom knowing that it is, it is already and, and not yet. That Jesus is coming um, and, and that, that he will fulfill those prophecies. That he will, uh, he, he, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And, and, and Jesus will be enthroned in Jerusalem. And, uh, and all, all the nations will come together and all the peoples will come together and dwell in peace and prosperity. In an age that will never end. But we have to have the humility to admit to our Jewish brothers and sisters that we're waiting to. We're waiting to. Maybe we know who our Messiah's name is, but we're still waiting. Rabbi Hugo uh, Gwynn used to talk about um, when he was a, a young boy in, uh, in Auschwitz in a concentration camp. And um, he tells the story of one Hanukkah. Uh, his father had taken the last of the margarine and was using it um, to, uh, 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 to, to fuel the candle. And, um, and, and, and young Hugo was beside himself. Papa, how, how could you do this? We need this for food. So his father responded, we can go for three weeks without food. We can't go three minutes without hope. As we enter into this Advent season, this season of waiting and longing, maybe we would do well to, um, to learn from our Jewish brothers and sisters about, uh, about what this waiting entails. After all, they've been doing it a lot longer than we have. Our Jewish brothers and sisters understand that, um, that, that waiting is not a passive activity. See, a lot of us as Christians, we're like, we're like that King Ahaz, right? And, and we don't want to wait, right? We, we, we see that as weakness and inaction. But Jews teach waiting as a positive virtue, a sign of obedience. They who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. 
They will rise on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow faint. The kind of waiting described there as a flying, running, walking kind of waiting. Not a standing in one place kind of waiting. It's the kind of waiting that you do at Disney World. Right? Um, Congratulations, we're at the Magic Kingdom. We've been saving for this for two years. We've been talking about it. Now we're finally here. The wait is over. Let's go ride Space Mountain. And we're waiting, right? But waiting doesn't mean sitting on a parch bench somewhere and waiting for someone to call out your name, right? Waiting means getting in line. Right? And putting one foot before the other and making this slow, steady progress in the direction of the, of the thing you're waiting on. Right? Trusting all the while that the that, that time that spent waiting will pay off. That the thrill at the end, when you finally get in that shiny rocket ship, will, 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 will overshadow all the waiting that you had to do. And every time you turn the corner, you think, this is it. Right? This is, uh, this, this is the day of glory and you turn the corner and it's just more lying and more switchbacks. Right? And people around you give up. They say, this isn't worth it. We can go, we can go wait for five minutes and get on the teacups. We're not doing this. But you trust in your heart that if you just keep trudging forward, it will be worth it. That's the kind of waiting we're being called to. This, uh, this long obedience in the same direction. That's the waiting we're invited to this Advent season. See, the good news for us as Christians is that the one we are waiting on is also with us. Because for us, the virgin has conceived and has given birth to a son, and his name is Emmanuel, Jesus Christ. And we wait in the power of his resurrection with his Holy Spirit filling us and guiding us and directing us. We stand waiting, anchored by that hope. As we come to the Lord's table this evening, we do so knowing that, that, that we are just having a, a taste of that heavenly banquet as we wait for the day that it gets finally fulfilled and consummated. Now, I don't know if that would be convincing to my friends in the front row. Probably not. It's probably a reason I'm a Christian and they're Jewish. But I hope if they were here with us, they would take comfort in the fact. Because they wait for a Messiah whose name they do not yet know. Waiting with them are followers of Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.